This is the Pink Floyd Fellas. Featuring your fellas Pete and PJ, leading you through the journey of the world's most popular progenitors of progressive psychedelic rock, Pink Floyd. Uh, well, uh, thank you, and this is your host Pete and your other host PJ, and welcome to the show. It feels I it feels weird. I got my job stolen out from under me by a guy for five dollars. Yeah. That's yeah. how outsourcing mm. works, buddy. Um, I guess. Uh, and seems offensive somehow. <laughs> I didn't mean it to be guy. offensive. Um, All right. But uh, it, I think it equalizes the show, Pete, because, uh, you know, on, on the Beach Boys Boys, there was a lot, a lot of talk about somebody maybe being a second banana. Um, sure. And I think this equalizes it because nobody's doing the intro. And... Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no one can claim to be first banana or second banana. Exactly. And you know, yeah. I'm I'm just hearing it now. Um, everybody's going to know that I'm very sick. <laughs> um, I've been I th- meaning to ask you. Yeah, I thought I could mask you? it a little bit, but I don't <clears throat> think I can. Uh, yeah. What's I, what's going on, PJ? You got the vid. Videos? Yeah, I've been yeah. watching a lot of videos cuz I've been home sick. Nice. Um, yeah. With COVID. Yeah, is that is that for real? No, I just have like a uh, a chest cold, um, which I've never yeah. had like just a chest cold before. Usually, I get all sinusy, but this is just yeah. like throat and lungs. Maybe it is COVID. I took a test; it said it wasn't right. Not that yeah. it wasn't right, that I didn't have it. Is what it said. The result, not right. Exactly. This boy ain't right. It was an eight ball. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and um, Peter, how's your health? Jesus fine even though i keep clearing my throat over and over again i was gonna say it's probably even because this episode so usually we're a couple episodes behind because of the release schedule and when we re-listen to them for editing and then talk about them we're even further behind now because i got way behind in listening to podcasts so i just listened to the first three that are out yeah so this episode might have a lot of references to (laughs) the first three episodes that's good it used to be when we were doing i don't remember if it was beach boys boys or stone studs but it was, it was like Beach Boys Boys. We were really far ahead on that one, I think. We were like three times. or four ahead, and it would yeah. release. I would release it the day before we recorded, so there would be this yeah. weird three-week loop where it'd be like we had just listened to the episode, so it was fresh in our minds, and we would reference yeah. that one a lot. Yeah. So really fun for the people who were like three weeks behind. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and this is this even carried on to Fake Bands Real Music, our other show, which, by the way, go find on your local iTunes podcast store or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, but this even carried on to Fake Bands Real Music. But apparently this is the season of me eating on mic, and I apologize to everybody <laughs> because I got fucking annoyed by it listening back. I did not realize it was so obvious, but... In the first one, I'm, like, eating some nuts, and then I stop eating, like, ten minutes in, but then I keep doing, like... <laughs> Because I think I have, like, little bits of nuts, you know, stuck in my teeth, which that's what she said, of course. Um, and so, yeah, and then I don't even know what I was eating the other episode, but I was eating something good. It, was, oh, it lasted what? a while, too. Paul and I kept making fun of you for it, too, didn't we? Uh, well, I was eating in more, but then in Fake Bands Real Music, yeah, I was eating... Wow, we won't we won't ruin it because it led to a it led to a what what That's you can what call was. what you could only call a killer bit. Oh, on par oh, with the one. um, on par, on par with us recording live from an Olive Garden at the worst table in the restaurant right yeah. next to the kitchen. 
Yeah. That yeah. was a good one. Remember the, the glory that days, was, Pete? Honestly, yes, that was the best that show this show has ever been. So if y'all still like this show, I guess good for you. But if you're that guy who thinks that it's bad every time, just go listen to that one episode. I don't know which album it was, but Oh. Kind of feel like probably MIU album. That somehow sounds right. Yeah. I feel like yeah. it's slightly later. Because they didn't care about the recording and we also didn't care about the recording. <laughs> no, I was really annoyed. That was the only time that I was okay with stuff happening in the background because Brendan at least made it worthwhile. Yeah. But your other roommates. Well, it wasn't even your other roommates. It was all the people your roommates had over. Yeah. Where it I was feel never... like your roommates said before yeah. they walked in, like, hey, my roommate, it's kind of annoying, but they're doing this, so just be quiet. And then, like, their significant other would come in and then just stomp around and, like, slam doors. Yeah. <laughs> And That's just fully have conversations it, in the other room. Yeah, you're totally right. It was never anybody I lived with. It was always mm-hmm. some asshole. They yeah, were you wouldn't shack up with any jerks. Yeah, but their significant others, ugh, the worst. Absolutely. Speaking of which, my wife the other day. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so I'm sorry that this is the season of Pete eating on Mike. I will either stop doing it or keep doing it. Unclear, but I I'm not eating tonight. So here, I just I just ate dinner, so I'm done. Peter, hold on real quick. Okay. Let's see if. Was it supposed to be a gunshot? Okay, here we go, here we go. Peter eats on Mike. I'm just gonna throw that drop in every time it happens now. <laughs> okay. Perfect. I feel like I feel like there's a better explosion noise. Oh, explosion sound effect realistic. <laughs> Peter eats oh, yeah. on Mike. That's way more realistic. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, the other thing that I was going to bring up, well, I this doesn't actually even have to be in the show necessarily, although you've been, <laughs> you left something in the more episode that we talked for a long time about editing out, and you just left it all in. It was really funny. What was it? Um, it was some joke that I made, but then it was all screwed up because we were kind of talking over each other, and then we were talking about like, oh, we'll re-edit and get this clean. And then I did it clean, and then you just left it all in. Oh, yeah, that's because we said something funny about it. But it was also really funny, so yeah. it's fine. Sometimes it's just funnier to leave that shit in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite things, and this might be an off-mic conversation too, um, was there was that episode where we just fucking kept talking about <laughs> It's yes. like by far the most amount of bleeping I've had to do in a long time. Yes. That was also episode three because that was when we finally caught up with listener mail, I think. Oh, that sounds right. So it kept coming up because someone wanted us. Someone said we shouldn't do a band podcast because there's already a band podcast. <laughs> and they oh, would be yeah. better than us. Yeah. One of our fans said that. That's fucked up. I know. Um. So, and then, what was the other thing? Oh, the other thing is that, and this came up in three different episodes or in like different times where I didn't realize in the moment, but then listening to all the episodes, I got it now, which is really good. But at different points, we call David Gilmore, little Davy fingers, which we need to remember. <laughs> That's a good and then one. also both Nick and Rick, which they already have rhyming names, but both of them, not by us in like written things we're reading at from the time are called Nikki and Ricky. <laughs> so we have Nikki, Ricky and Davy. 
and then just Roger. <laughs> but yeah, Roger doesn't get a fun name. No, it's pretty fantastic though. Nikki, Dickie, Nikki, Ricky, Davy, and Roger. You know what the best part about this show, Pete, is? Is that we'll do bits and then immediately forget about them. <laughs> yes. Well, from somehow that's the problem with. I know somehow that's that for some reason feels solely a product of the video call era for us though. Cause I feel like when we did beach boys, boys, we would remember stuff a lot better. And so it made for some funnier stuff. Cause like we would really remember stuff through a whole season and be able to call it back. True. Whereas I think both my memory has been ruined from like COVID <laughs> and then not from having it, but just like the pandemic in general, yeah. it just makes things feel weird. It was and a, I remember a lot less stuff. Yeah. And then also just like, for some reason, I think doing it over, video instead of in person just like stuff kind of slips out of my head easier and so so you want really to i need to, to like I, I i've already told you that we really want you and melanie to move to portland me and my brother um yeah we thought about it we would love for you guys to live out here yeah we just gotta get yeah. out of get out of this godforsaken state man have we done a bit about where i don't live where i do mm-hmm. we've talked about yeah, I mean, you're in Colorado right now because you're searching for the Coors uh, Banquet Fountain of Youth. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's we'll stick with that. None of that yeah. Bud Light stuff. Not with that no. lady that they're. I actually don't under. I don't know what I the don't know outrage what you're is. About. Uh, there's a lot of redneck guys pouring out Bud Light because they did uh, like a sponsorship with somebody who I think might be trans. Um, okay. I've not looked into it. The name did not sound familiar, but uh, there's a lot of rednecks uh, dumping out Bud Light these days. Bud Light trans is the first thing on Google. Hell yeah, brother. Dylan Mulvaney. I know that name. I don't know if I know who Dylan Mulvaney is, but yeah, Bud Light partnership with Dylan Mulvaney. Is Dylan Mulvaney the one that wrote about Woody Allen? I don't know. No, she's a TikToker. The weirdest part about that sponsorship is not that they are spo- like doing a partnership with a trans person. It's that they're doing a partnership with like a TikToker. I mean, I guess Bud Light needs uh, that young, hip yeah, exactly, generation. The young. That's really funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's incredibly sad, but uh, mostly it's just funny because, like, okay, so you don't get to drink shitty beer anymore. That must suck for you. <laughs> Bummer. You got to move up to. Either laterally to well, and Coors Light has also done like there are pride posters up with Coors Light on it everywhere in Colorado. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Oh well, uh, we're very off topic, man. Already, I know it's not good. It's not good. Okay, uh, well, do we just want to talk about Pink Floyd then to kind of get back on track? Yeah, I suppose so. All right, all right. It'll be one of those episodes where we... Where we actually just talk about the band? Yeah. One of, one those of these episodes. ones. I'll have to get my drink ready. Well, so after they talk... Or after they talk about... After they record and after we talked about Uma Guma, uh, they get invited, the band, the Floyd. Wait, uh, the band get or invited Both. Oh, okay. No, just Pink Floyd. Oh, okay. Um, the band Pink Floyd. Gotcha. Are invited to record. 
Excuse me. Oh, man. man. Hello. Oh, Jesus. I just that burped was, and then yawned that right was, in succession. That was a throat clear, a burp, and then a <laughs> yawn. <laughs> man, god damn, I'm 15. I should be 15 years older than I am. Are you just this hearing my voice and getting all of the effects from that? Where you got I guess, your voice I a guess, lot? yeah. You're tired because I'm sick. I think it's just I barely talked today. I don't know. It's been like a very quiet day of just kind of sitting at home and doing work. So I think it's this is like the most I've talked. So anyway, uh, after Omogoma, they get invited to do another soundtrack uh, for this movie called Zabriskie Point, uh, which was made by Italian filmmaker Michelangelo Antonioni. Uh, that is most famous. a fake name. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who is most famous for doing the movie Blow Up, which is a pretty big hit in the mid mid sixties, um, and so this was his follow up to that. So it was pretty highly anticipated. He was like a f- not French New Wave guy, but kind of European, you know, art art house director. Blow Up really hit big with the youth and all that, and so uh, yeah, his next movie was supposed to be really great. So he moved it. He set it in. America about a bunch of countercultural kids in the US and wanted it soundtracked with this crazy band called Pink Floyd uh, that he just like uh, Barbet Schroeder the director Moore uh, that he'd been a fan of for a long time had seen them live in like 1966 or 7 um, huh. and enlisted them to fly out to Rome and record the soundtrack to me this is bizarre because this man was 50 at this older than 50 yeah. at this point in time. And so like what 50 year old man in the sixties is like, yeah, I like that weird space jazz. And, it, and it's <laughs> yeah. an Italian guy. So he's like, I like it at space yeah. jazz. I guess this guy, man, he's cool. I don't know. It must be cool. Um, so anyway, so they started work in Rome, uh, and they quickly found that it was pretty much the opposite of working with Barbet Schroeder, where with Barbet, he was around the whole time, but he was pretty hands-off. They worked really quickly. They just wrote music and pretty much everything they wrote. He said, yeah, this is great. Awesome. Yeah. Like, I'll put it in the movie. Better than directors and producers now who are very hands-on, if you know what I mean. Ooh. Hashtag me too. Um, so Antonioni, though, was a lot more picky and would make them only bring him, like, fully finished songs, but then he would, like, pick them apart and tell them everything that was wrong with them and make them go redo them, but they couldn't hmm. bring him, like, you know, drafts or anything. Okay. And so they were really getting annoyed with him. Uh, he was getting annoyed with them because they weren't giving him the music he wanted. Um, and so he eventually ended up only using three songs that they recorded for him and then looked for other artists to fill out the soundtrack because he was... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, not into I get it. Their process. Well, it's funny cuz they were really annoyed about it and like they have some good quotes from uh I won't read exactly, but from from my book where they're talking about like, yeah, if he had just let us do what we do and then turn the stuff in, I'm pretty sure it would have been fine, but he was like so hands-on that it just kind of ruined everything and then ruined it for us too, and so it was just a bad a bad yeah. time. Terrible hang. So, yeah, so he only used three songs, I think. Yeah, and then he also used a remix, like, not remix, but, like, kind of re uh, a different version of Careful With That Axe, Eugene, which was his favorite Pink Floyd song, apparently. Huh. And then he also, uh, one of the songs that he rejected, by the way, was an early version of Us and Them from Dark Side of the Moon. Wow. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Rick Wright started working on this one that turned into that. Uh, so this so guy just was to like, kind of get... make it more like your early stuff, you know, the good stuff. Yeah, basically. Um, That's like a terrible So, and too. to cap it all off, the movie totally bombed and was is considered one of the worst movies of all time. Basically. Oh, really? It was, listed, it was listed in a 1978 book of the 50 worst movies of all time. What's it called? Zabriskie Point. Z-A-B-R-I-S-K-I-E Point. Okay. Cuz this guy's supposed I think to be it was like kind of great director. Like I think that was part of it is just that he's supposed to be it's kind of like maybe if like a Quentin Tarantino or something made just a god awful movie where even if it wasn't that bad it's like compared to the critical acclaim of all his other stuff. Yeah, right. It would be like such a disaster seeming, yeah. you know. So. Hey, you saw your buddy Quentin's dick one time. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That was a whole bit from Beach Boys Boys. See, I remember stuff. Oh man, you're really pulling it back. Ooh, boy. Just I like do Quentin Tarantino. I remember dick. talking about Quentin Tarantino, but uh, so just to kind of get an idea, I guess, of what they of the stuff that got through, let's listen to a couple of the the songs they turned in. So the first one is called a great title for a song. I will say it's called Heartbeat Pig Meat. Not a very good song, if you ask me, but a great, great song title. I agreed. Harrison Ford was in this movie. Whoa, wait, really? Uncredited as arrested student. Okay, I was going to say, I thought American Graffiti was his first movie, but maybe that's his first credited role? Or maybe I'm just wrong about that in general. Well, uh, I don't know. This was 1970. American Graffiti was 73. Well, maybe he was just in, like, side roles like that. I don't know. Well, it seems like he was maybe just hanging out in Italy. <laughs> or was it recorded in Italy? Yeah. Or no, they, they filmed it in America. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is not a good song. And an even worse song for a score, I would say, which is kind of my thing with all of Pink Floyd's score songs, is that yeah. how the fuck does this fit in a movie? Yeah. Uh, okay, so we could go ahead and do the next one. Crumbling Land is a normal song-ish. Okay, so he was... Okay, so his first credited role was in a movie called A Time for Killing, and he played Lieutenant Schaefer, and he was billed as Harrison J. Ford. And then he was in two episodes of The Virginian as Colin Tyndall and a young rancher. One episode of Ironside... The movie Journey to Shiloh, an episode of Mod Squad where he played a beach patrol cop. Hell yeah! <laughs> so he was in he was in a decent amount of stuff actually. It looks like, including a few movies. So. This does not sound like Pink Floyd to no, me. No, I like really. Thing. I had to triple check that I was that I got the title right. I like this actually, song, but it is not yeah. a Pink Floyd song. It's like they were making. No, it kind of sounds like, like what is pop music? Or something. It, yeah. They're yeah. like getting on that flower child movement. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's their kind of failed second soundtrack uh, out of three that they will do, uh, at least as far as I know. 
so they uh so that that doesn't work out so they head back to london and start work in march 1970 on their fourth album fifth mm-hmm. album? third studio kind of fourth if you include more i guess gotcha. or wait no no no, no fifth no. sorry fourth studio album fifth if you include more as a studio album okay which i think could go either way it depends anyway uh, so, do you remember from Umagumma, uh, the guy on the furry animals song, which were all just like weird mouth noises and stuff? Um, we talked about this guy named Ron Geeson, who was friends with Roger Waters at the time. So, he comes back up in a big way on Adam Hartmother. So, he was a Scottish composer uh, who befriended Roger and the band at some point. He apparently played golf with Roger, which is pretty hilarious to think of Roger Waters, especially as like a young, hip, you know, like swinging 60s mod guy golfing. You got to start somewhere, man. <laughs> I guess. Um, it's like how tennis so, used to be cool, too, in the 70s. Yeah. And now just yeah. like white dudes play it. So he, uh, so he was just kind of in their orbit, and they, in early 1970 did a show where they like played with an orchestra on some of their songs and they got inspired to add some orchestration to their next album. But they really, damn, PJ just, <laughs> PJ just shotgun to beer on Mike. That was wild. <laughs> that was pretty, pretty amazing. There's a frat um, party happening outside. They dared me to yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You know, I'm crazy. Badass. Yeah. Um, and so they wanted to add orchestration, but they also recognized that, like, by 1970, a lot of rock groups have been doing that, like the Moody Blues, Procol Harum, stuff like that. And so they didn't want it to be kind of the stuffy. I wait, mean, it sounds like something people. Wait, is there did, a difference between the Moody Blues the, and Procol Harum? Yeah. <laughs> the stuffy. I thought they were the same band. All right. <laughs> proggy stuff that they had been doing. They wanted something a little more interesting. So they had been working on this song that David Gilmore came up with, um, kind of came up with the original idea of, and then they'd been working on and fleshed it out into this really long kind of epic track. Oh, and so totally they decided, epic, dude. yeah. So they decided to ask Ron for help adding uh, an orchestra and a choir to mm-hmm. the song. And also they credit asking Ron to come in as them being out of ideas, which I think will give you great pleasure for them to admit. <laughs> I, yeah, I could have told you that. After Umagama, which yeah. they talked about, like, being not that great and being kind of a stretch for an idea. And, like, really, they only just did, like, the live album. Like, they didn't really have a great idea for a full another album. So, anyway. So, Ron is quoted as saying in a book he wrote, It was obvious to me at the time the group was getting close to running on empty. They toured extensively. The Jackson uh, Brown song? Yeah. They were close they to a masterpiece, like running on empty. Uh, becoming really famous and were being encouraged and pushed by their record company and their manager to get the next album out. And then Davey uh, at some point said that they were scraping the bottom of the barrel a bit. And then Ricky said that we got into a lazy period. There was a point when we sat about not knowing what to do. So, but they had this one song basically, oh, and so inter- they knew but they kind of that they wanted that thought to make about this. any of their previous four albums. That okay, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me. But all right. excuse me, I mean, well, you remember on Saucerful how we were talking about how they were all giddy and excited? 
to be in the studio and stuff. So like, and then more was this contract hit that they basically finished in like two weeks. And it was pretty Um, good. And it was pretty good, but like, I can see how, you know, faced with like basically being in not special circumstances, just the general banality of like, okay, now it's time for our record company to ask for another record without like these other things happening around it. I can see them. I mean, struggling, like they're figuring it out as a band. They don't really know. Yeah. Know what to do. Um, so they started recording everything in March, 1970. And then went on their, uh, on a U.S. tour in the spring and left Geeson alone, Ron Geeson alone to do all of his work. Hmm. Um, and then by the time that they returned in June to finish up the album, he'd completed the choir and orchestra parts. So, by the way, during that tour, their truck uh, was stolen in, I think, Louisiana or something, um, which included both of Roger's basses and both of Davey's guitars were stolen, including a brand new black Stratocaster that Davey had just bought in New York. He got a 1969 Stratocaster. Huh. Um, so they recovered some of it, but not the guitars. So Roger's Rickenbacker is gone forever. He got two new Fender Precisions um, that he'll play basically for the rest of their uh, 70s career. And then uh, Davey went and got a brand new Black Strat and then a Sunburst Stratocaster, uh, which will come up later on. I'm sure the Black will. Strat will be the one that he's famous for playing in the 70s. I yeah. guess is what I'm saying. Um, but they didn't take any of, you know, Nick is the drummer. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the stuff that they got they didn't back. Take, <laughs> they didn't take any of Nick's million drums or Rick's fucking 40 pianos because that's hilarious. Like they only took the the basses and guitars. Yeah, both of Nick's drum kits were in the truck. One of Rick's two organs that they took on tour, and a piano, and then their twelve speaker PA system, five Benson Echo Rex, and all their cables and mics. Uh, everything was recovered with the exception of guitars. Wow, huh. guitars. So I guess maybe those hit the pawn shop the fr- the soonest or something because they yeah. were smaller. I don't know. Um. Yeah. Huh. So, some new instruments in the instrument saga. Um. So anyway, but they showed back up to London to finish up the record. Uh, they got it done, but not that well. They were not super happy with what Ron ended up doing, okay. and then apparently Ron was also okay. Here's a quote from my book, which, by the way, we're when I mention my book, we're talking Pink Floyd, all the songs, the story behind every track. Uh, which is a really great book for Pink Floyd fans or just anybody. Um, and so here's a here's a quote that is one of my favorite written sentences I've read in a, in a really long time. However, the sessions would take place in an atmosphere of antagonism emanating in particular from the brass section, various members of which adopted an openly hostile attitude toward Geeson. <laughs> so apparently he was not on good terms with his players Pink Floyd were not super happy with Ron, which was extra awkward because he was like their buddy. Yeah. Um, And so, but they got the album done and released. And even though none of them were fans of it, it went to number one in the UK. That is (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. And so they kind of had to, at least at the time, own it a little bit 
and then later they shit talked it a lot and apparently kind of fell out with Ron Geeson over it. I think Nikki Mason was the only one who stayed friends with him, which is a real drummer thing to do. Yeah. Um, but the rest of them kind of fell out with him over it because they really didn't like his production and kind of threw him under the bus later in the 70s about it. That, uh, yeah. I mean, which maybe, but also like. He got him number one, back and say like, that's not what we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we'll maybe get to this in the track by track, but it's a little bit like all the choir and orchestration and stuff on Let It Be, where yeah. like, couldn't you have just re-released it without that stuff? Because it doesn't need need it. Like, it's kind of, right. you know, especially the choir, at least you could strip out and then you could just strip back the orchestration and like do a new version where it's a little more rock oriented and like maybe some more keyboards or something for instead of all the instruments. So. Um, like if they were that unhappy with how it turned out, it wouldn't be crazy difficult to yeah, do a just, new version of. It's just weird that they were kind of dicks about it. I guess not yeah. that weird, but no, it is weird. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the story of Adam Hart, mother. Uh, we go ahead and get into our Rolling Stone review, and then we'll go track by track. Sure. All right, so this is by Alec Dubrow, which is not someone I'm familiar with from Rolling Stone, but he reviewed a little bit of stuff. Oh, he reviewed Soft Parade by The Doors. Huh. So we've read one of his before. Yeah, I was going to say, we may have He reviewed Stand by Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, Yeah, so a CCR album, Willie and the Poor Boys. Great album. All right. So here it goes. It's not super long, so I'll just read the whole thing. At one time, Pink Floyd was far out, freaky even. Their work in the electronic capabilities of rock was more advanced than most people realize. Their use of a third rear sound source anticipated quadraphonics. And their music, if it wasn't memorable, reached into the limits of experimentation. Most other groups, when they thought in terms of electronics, thought of only feedback. Pink Floyd used sounds no one else thought of and could make them lyrical besides. Their last album, Amagumma, while a bit drawn out, had all their best elements. Adam Hart Mother is a step headlong into the last century and a dissipation of their collective talents, which are considerable. Side One is a suite, almost a symphony. It has a lot in it. They use orchestral elements and a choir. The best that can be said is that it's craftsmanlike and in spite of its many parts, it's an entity, but that's all. Wow. It turns out to be an impressionistic orchestral sketch of, I think, a morning that includes some rock elements. As impressionism, it's occasionally effective, but on a very imitative level. The beginning sounds sunrisey, and then there are periods or sounds that draw pictures. But as a whole, it's schmaltzy and a little vapid. Wow. Vapid. Yeah. That's rude as hell. Side two is generally worse. (laughs) If is English folk at its deadly worst. Uh, soft and silly ditto for fat old son the only redeeming feature on this side is the last cut alan's psychedelic breakfast and then only partially so the part is not the music but the integrated arising and breakfast sounds i was listening through earphones and so three-dimensional and realistic were the sounds that i took off the phones to see who was breaking in i couldn't believe it was part of the record once i got over that though it was the same insubstantial melange as the rest of the record if Pink Floyd is looking for some new dimensions, they haven't found them here. Try freaking out again. Okay. 
<laughs> well, as usual, they hate music. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I think it's very funny when... What, what he said about side two, where he's like, it's just generally worse. Yeah. Like, that's not a review. <laughs> I know he goes on to say more, but... <laughs> pretty great all right well thanks alec um all right so let's go ahead and take a quick break and come back for the track by track of adam hart mother Floyd fellas we're talking Adam Hertmother on this episode uh for some reason I keep wanting to do that just like I had a book about U2 that was called U2 into the Hert and I always wanted to say it like Hert <laughs> that one makes a little bit more sense because they actually are Irish yeah yeah, yeah. into the U2 into the Hert yeah uh all right well welcome back so uh, a couple kind of things that I forgot to talk about before the break, uh, but the Peter album cover, up. which is a, a regular occurrence now because of hypnosis involvement, excuse me, they wanted it to be, so the idea was, so they had this whole long song that they didn't have a name for, and then they didn't have a name for the album ever until like and so when they were doing the album cover they were like well what if we did something that was kind of like that matched like it's this whole untitled thing and so what could we do that could match that and so hypnosis presented a few options and the one that caught their eye the most was this photo that storm storm drove out to the countryside took a photo of the first cow he saw and brought it back and Hmm. they said yeah actually that cow's awesome that'll do it with the cow yeah um And then the LP itself is like has more cows all over it. Like it's got some cows on the back. The gatefold is more cows. It's if it came out now, the record would be cow print. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So and then the title came from they were hanging out with Ron one day talking about how they didn't have a title. And he they pulled out the newspaper for inspiration. uh, And he found an article title, Adam Hart Mother because this woman was like the first woman in the UK or the world or something to get a heart, um, what do you call it, like a pacemaker that was apparently oh, yeah. somehow related to nuclear power. Like, yeah, anyway. So they called hmm. her Adam Hart Mother in the title, and he said, what about that? And they said, great. So You think she gets any also, kickbacks from that? No. <laughs> I don't. And also, the song Adam Hart Mother... Uh, is the first rock song, which I know you take issue with them potentially be called rock, but mm. I'm going to call them that. First rock song ever that takes up the whole side of an album. 
How long is that fucking song? 23 minutes? They yeah, have the exact opposite it's actually, thing of uh, of the Beach Boys, where the Beach yes. Boys would have 40 songs on an album, and it would still be 22 minutes, you know? Yeah. And they have, what is this, five songs? Five songs. And it's almost yeah. an hour. It's 52 yeah, minutes. Yeah, really, it's a really, really long album for an LP, which we will talk about later about whether it needs to be that long. But yeah, same with like Amagama for a... Uh, their studio album was 47 minutes. The yeah, the live album was 40. But then they they stretched it a little bit on the second disc there. Uh actually, yeah, we should be looking at cuz Rolling Stones got into some long ass albums for a while, but cuz how long was Oh, Saucerful was only 40. That's why it's not that weird. Kind of. But then yeah, Amagama 47, Adam Hart 52. Crazy, man. Yeah, they're keeping um, it pretty long. Real quick, I'm going to introduce a new segment that you don't know about, Pete. Let's do it. It's called um, Quick Trivia, and you can't Google it. Okay. Where is Elvis Costello from? Oh. Graceland. Yeah? <laughs> uh, I mean... I feel like I, I, it's somewhere in the UK, but like, do you want city or country? I guess country is fine. Country is fine. I'm going to say Scotland. I don't know. See, I was listening to Elvis Costello, like do an interview and I was like, where the fuck is this guy from? Oh yeah. He has I don't a, know if I've really heard his voice that often. His well, and I was voice. like, is he American? Does he just talk in a transatlantic accent? And oh, he yeah, sounds maybe. like that. You're right. No. He is English. Oh, okay. But I texted okay. Paul the same thing. I was like, quick, like first reaction. And he was like, New Jersey? And I was like, yeah, that oh, really? seems right, doesn't it? He seems For some like reason, a reason I thought he was British. I don't know. He why, is British. Though, You're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, you just knew. Well, and it but makes like, sense. I guess. I don't know. But he seemed, to me, he seems like an East Coast, like, I don't know. Yeah. And his voice is not particularly British, I don't think. Anyway. Yeah. I just wanted Very to get your, your take on that. Write in at beachboysboys at gmail.com on whether you think Elvis Costello, <laughs> what country Elvis Costello is from. If he's faking it or not. Exactly, yeah. Um, okay, so Adam Hart Mother was released October 1970. As we already mentioned, it went to number one in the UK and number 55 in the US. Uh, the first track, Adam what a, Hart What a Mother, huge differential. I know. It did really well in other countries in Europe. Like it went to like number eight in France and you know, like it did, it did really well across Europe. So they, they clearly haven't broken through to the U S yet. Um, that'll change in a few years. Uh, so the opening track, Adam Hart mother is broken up into six sections of its 23 minutes. Uh, so let's go ahead and get to the first section. Father's shout. Also, I kept saying orchestra, but it's really just brass. Technically credited is the Philip Jones Brass Ensemble. Uh, more of an ensemble than an orchestra. Yeah, which is trumpets, trombones, French horns, and a tuba. It is orchestral so, yeah, I, sounding, though. Yeah, but there's no strings, which... Oh, wait, there's one cello. But I honestly think if you had asked me without me checking to, just now, I would have said, yeah, of course, there's like a full string section. <laughs> 
motherfuckers so trying to write shout a new lasts Peter until Wolf. 252. Okay, this part's cool. Yeah, this part's all right, and they actually, we talked about a lot in their earlier, especially Piper, about them doing, like, songs where they didn't bring back melodies a lot, and this one they at least do bring back throughout this song, so that helps kind of tie it together, but... I could have done without the intro. Yes, I agree, but I do really like David Gilmore's just, like, big electric guitar chords here sound really nice. Let me know when we get to 253. Or we can just skip to it, too. Mm. And then there's, like, weird war noises, I guess. All right, so now we start the second section, Breast Milky. Ugh. Yeah, not sure why. Immaculate bass. And that cello, or... I, you said it was a cello, right? Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice. Um, yeah, this part's really beautiful, but also, like, so far, none of this is stuff I'm really super excited about hearing from Pink Floyd. <laughs> nope. I would agree. <laughs> and especially, we talked about two on more. I mean, Amagama, I guess, kind of tied stuff a little bit together, but it's still like, man, what is this band's deal? Like, they are just almost four for four on just c completely different sounding albums. Yeah. The keyboard part here, I really like. Like the last part when it came in right after the intro, and the drumming is nice. I liked that, the way. and this is yeah. good too. But like, it, it's all good, is it? But it's like, just not. I'm not yeah, gonna like, listen it's all to this. All the, like, I'm not gonna be like, oh, let's put this record Ooh, on. You there know? we go. See, and that's good. Beautiful but slide. It's man, four minutes shit. in. <laughs> I know, but it's also just like perfectly recorded. It is such beautiful, clean slide guitar. They're really getting their Pink Floyd recording down. Yes. Oh, yeah, which, speaking of, Norman Smith, who was their producer for all their previous albums, this one is only credited as executive producer, and it was apparently their kind of, like, thank you, but goodbye to him. Like, he didn't actually help on it at all. They just gave him an executive producer credit and huh. then broke up. Yeah. Once the guitar comes in here, I, I really like this part, I think. It's very nice. It does sound like some proto Dark Side of the Moon stuff. Yeah, I could hear that. Should we go ahead and get to... Yeah. Mother 4 at 527. Oh, we're only skipping ahead like four seconds. Oh, then just keep it because this is good. Still good guitar. Well, I already did it. So this is around the longest section. The next three sections are all pretty long compared to the first few. And you know what they could have done, Pete, that annoys me? Could have just been six different songs. 
Could have been. Nope. Yeah, but they wanted it to all be one song. I know, and that's annoying. got that chorus girl here now. Yeah, the the choir in this whole thing is I think ill-conceived. <laughs> it just nice. sounds dumb. Yeah. It's just like the choir for like across the universe and stuff. Like it just doesn't sound good to me. It sounds overwrought and ridiculous. But and like they could have just had violins or something playing the same part and it would have had the same effect but probably better right or like a theremin sure. that's always cool yeah yeah well rick wright master of the keyboards Are we allowed to skip to the next section here, Pete? Yes, let me get the timestamp here. 10-12 for Funky Dung, the by far best part of the album, I would say. I don't like how they named each section of the song. Yeah. Because um, like I said, Ooh, it could have just... bass line's great. And then the organ is also just perfectly... It's the perfect organ tone. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. They named each part of it. Could have just been separate songs. Yeah. The organ is tight as hell here. I can't wait until they start writing God, real music. Damn it, Roger's great. Honestly, the guitar, the bass, and the organ on this part, very good. And that, I mean, that groove... He's laying it yeah. down too, man. Oh, fuck. Yeah, if this was its own song, that'd be super sweet. Yeah. Because never would I put this record on, like, on vinyl and be like, all right, but right. we gotta skip to like 1025, figure out where yeah, it yeah. is, mark it with yeah. tape so you know. This part does fucking rule, though. It's it's so good. It really, I mean, I don't think I dislike the rest of Adam Hartmother as much as you do, but it does, it's like the entire, it's the only reason to listen to this full thing, because it's so, it's so, so good. I will say part of what I think makes it so great to some degree is that it is in the middle of this, like, completely other sounding thing and you then they it, somehow but they it's like it's so different but then somehow they do mesh it like uh in a way that fits with the rest of the track somehow like it does not feel crazy when it starts and it doesn't feel crazy when it translate transitions back in to have the you rest ever of the seen song. lethal weapon <laughs> not in a long time oh wait dude. no i maybe i haven't actually all four of them are 
the best movies. I love Lethal Weapon, but this sounds a lot like the soundtrack of Lethal Weapon (laughs) in like a super cool way. Fantastic. Because I, for Eric Clapton did I I did a lot of that stuff, and he is a terrible person, and I don't like his songwriting, but he's a great guitar player. I think you can, um, and like writing the score for that, very good. Yeah. And this sounds a lot like it to me, so I don't know. I, I feel like I had a point for that. I don't know. It's just groovy, and I wish uh, it was its own song. I feel like you could use it as like an intro to something, and nobody would ever know what it was because nobody's yeah. going to listen 10 minutes into Adam Hardmother. It does kind of, though, call back on more when they did like the one blues song at the end. And then also, I think it was on Amagama. At some point, we talked about them apparently doing blues jam, a blues, like eight bar blues jam live occasionally. And how, like, I mean, like, I guess I don't fully know all their discography, so maybe they do end up having some bluesy songs, but, like, man, if they even just occasionally dip their toe into, like, a jamming blues, they are all good enough musicians that they would do a really great job. Yeah, do more of that. Less of this. Well, and it would be a good counterbalance, I feel like, to their really strange experimental stuff. Like it is kind of here, where it like it gives you something to latch onto and yeah, groove on, and then it makes you, at least for me it makes me a little more willing to listen to the more out there stuff. But um, are we at what? What's our timestamp? Right Fourteen now? right now. Okay, let's go ahead and skip to fifteen to get to mind your throats, please. Okay, so back to the uh, refrain here. Oh, here, wait. I want to get that transition. Because I do kind of like this transition from one part to the other. This is where the choir works for me. It kind of does. Yeah, once that, yeah, you're kind of, I think you're right about that. Because then it goes into this more orchestral thing. Yeah, basically from the beginning of Funky Dung through this part, I I do really like. Because I agree that. This the latter works. half of the song is very good. I just and like you know the sections in between are technically good. Yeah. Why is well, it a twenty-six to, minute song? I forget if it's this section or the next one, but we do get to just kind of some noise for a while, which in classic Pink Floyd fashion is not my favorite. Maybe it's in this one. I don't know. I believe it, like it is. It. Yeah. I will say, like, I, I hear what you're saying about breaking it up into sections um, and how that's annoying because they could just do six different songs. But I'm at least I'm an organized enough person <laughs> that it does. It, I really like if there's a really long song like that, having it kind of broken up where it's like, oh, OK, these are distinct little things that I can like grab onto that there are supposed to be these transitions in it instead of just one long thing. OK, but so. There are other great albums that do transitions that have separate songs. Pet Sounds, yeah, um, that's uh, true. Sgt. Pepper. So you think they should be separate songs, like where it's the kind of thing where if you if you took one off to put it on a playlist, it would just kind of have like hard cuts on the ends. You know what I mean? Like so, it's actually like a separate track on the LP or in your iTunes. 
but it's all faded together. Here, here's the thing. Like, I mean, if, if you're looking, like on an LP, right? It's gonna sound exactly the same, but it's all gonna be parsed out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, like on the backside of the album. But then when it comes to digital, I don't have to listen to ten minutes of this godforsaken song. I can just skip, like, yeah. be like, oh yeah, the third song on this one kicks ass, and then listen to that. You know? Yeah. Like I can't. If we were to do our perfect album from this era, I can't put any of the shit on there because this isn't going on there. Yeah, you just got to put all of Adam Hart Mother on there. Which I would not be doing, you know? (laughs) Uh, Do you know what I'm saying, Let's go ahead and go to... I do. I do know what you're saying, yes. Let's go ahead and go to 1913 in the song to start the emergence of the final section. Okay, they bring it back again. They really didn't need that three minutes of noise. No. That's what I was thinking, too, is like this. It, it feels like they had some really cool ideas and then they were like, but we want it to be a full side. How do we flesh this out? How do we pad it out so that it fills the full side? I agree. I mean, it's an infinitely better song if you get rid of that noise. And like you, they didn't need the intro really either, I don't think. Because the intro is fine, but it's much better when it's just like that first part right after the intro. Yeah. Or at least the intro didn't need to be as long as it was. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a cello. This is a different thing. I don't know. I think it is a cello. It sounds more viola or violin-y to me, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Let's see. Maybe my books are wrong. Let's look at Wikipedia. Yeah, the only string instrument credited is a cello. All right. My ears deceived me. This guitar playing is great, obviously. Yeah, but it's like they've a, got David. He has Gilmer. a real way it's with gonna the be good. slide guitar. Yeah. And that's what's frustrating about Pink Floyd during this era is because I don't love any of it, but they are all talented musicians. Yeah. Which is Yeah, it feels annoying. like there is a world where they could be making... I mean, and they'll get there in the 70s, but it's like they could have been making the best music or like oh. among the best music in the world from like 1968 to 73 yeah. too, instead of just 73 through 80. But Like, honestly, if they were like, yeah. let's just be a Southern rock band, that would have kicked ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of agree with you. I don't like that I do, but I kind of do. And that's a great like kind of thing. I I don't usually like when they do sound effects like that. I think it works here. (laughs) Oh, I think that's just him sliding way up and down with the slide. No, I think it is, but I think, I guess that's what I meant. I don't like when they do like sound, you know.
Alright, and then the choir stuff doesn't really work for me here. How close to the end of this are we? Uh, we've got about a minute left. Alright, I guess we can stick it out. Whoever's playing that French horn? He's a very talented French horn player. Yeah. should have fucking written this for that movie. Here's a little tie-in to... I guess Jeff Beck hasn't really been in any of the bands we've talked about. But uh, in the movie Blow Up that Michelangelo Antonioni did, uh, Jeff Beck played himself. Nice. All right, so this is If, a Roger Waters ballad, if you couldn't guess. He's the one doing all the acoustic ballads these days. Uh, This is kind of about Sid Barrett a little bit. This is the first time they've recorded clean vocals that aren't like echoey. I feel like maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, but I kind of yeah, I kind of feel like they did do a little bit on more, but then they also did some echoey ones on more. So I liked this song. Oh. Yeah, it's fine. I don't think it's as good as any of the ballads on more, so it feels a little bit unessential when they had like four great acoustic ballads on that album, and then this one, the one acoustic ballad isn't. To me nearly as good i like so. the bass on it yeah it's just kind of mimicking the acoustic guitar but it like it sounds nice it's mixed well no if i go insane please don't put your wires in my brain and they couldn't just help but doing some weird sound effects <laughs> in the back <laughs> fucking amen And then the guitar is very, very similar to, I forget which song on more, but one of the songs on more, it's like the exact same kind of guitar thing coming in. And so it's a little bit. Was it crying it song or no? Yeah, maybe. It just doesn't feel super original to me, especially this close to that other album. Like The tone is exactly the same as it was on whatever that other song was. If they had recorded it, like no. they had recorded the slide on Adam Hart mother yeah we'd be talking see yeah. this these fuck guys would make a great southern rock band you can hear it a little bit they kind of would is there anything else you want to talk about on this song Pete no <laughs> alright summer 68 So this one was written by Rick Wright, of all people. Not of all people, but I don't know. He hasn't written tons and tons so far. So this is an interesting one. 
and sung by Rick Wright. They're back to them dumbass echoey vocals. <laughs> yeah, true. I don't know if it's echoey. I think it's just double tracked on this one at least. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think it's double tracked. It's di- huh? Maybe it is. Let me see if it says on that book. The harmonies are lovely. It's apparently him doing it himself. I didn't hate this. Yeah, this one's... It's it's okay. I don't love it. Um, I will say, this is usually... This is calling all the way back to the Beach Boys. I don't love how abrupt the transition is on this one. It does not work for me. usually, Usually I love it. But on this one, it's a little too strange. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was me with, I don't know, 10 of the Beach Boys albums. Yeah, exactly. And I did not realize we were going to get horns on this side of the album. Uh, like, you know. I know. It's, it's a little it bit like... It seemed like they were done with it at this point, and then they, like, throw them in there. Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, Soft Parade, <laughs> where, like, half the songs had all the horns and, like, the pop production, and then half of them were just regular door songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was surprised too to get that here, but apparently liked it enough. So, yeah, the whole middle section of this is weird, but the rest of the song I like. Yeah, I, I mean like, it's 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 I like fine. When they do songs instead of orchestral pieces. Me too. I think I'm just a little disappointed by this because I feel like it could be really great, and I just don't like it that much. But yeah, that's okay. That can be on me. Fat old son. All right. This is a Davy Gilmore production. And apparently David played everything himself except Rick played uh, organ. You said he's using a precision bass on this? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm not 100% sure, but that's the bases that Roger had at this point, so I would guess. Because the bass tone all throughout this album is immaculate. Even on the parts I don't like. Yeah, it really, really is. It is, yeah, I just double-checked it. Yeah, he has two Fender Precisions, one in white and one in black, I think. That sounds right. It's also kind of funny to me where, like, I feel like most musicians who own multiple instruments will want different instruments because they kind of yeah. get different feel or sound or whatever from them. Yeah. And so it's really funny that he they lost all their instruments the and then they just went, they both went and got two of the exact same guitars. <laughs> two, two of the same bass, two of the well, same. Well, and the thing guitar. is, they're not poor. So it's like, I know in London at the time it was like yeah. kind of rare to find American Fender stuff. And so yeah. maybe that's all they had. But they could have made a trip back over to New York 
gotten a telecaster. I mean, that's what he did. He got yeah. the he got the other strat on his way home. I assume that's when they got the bases. Oh too, yeah, but like that it, yeah. They could have yeah. He could have gotten a jazz bass and a precision or right, right. you know a telecaster and a strat. But it's kind of funny though. Just yeah. and it's also funny the idea. <laughs> of then them playing live and like having the the like stage hands run out with different guitars for different songs but it's just the, it's same, the same guitar one. in a different, different color, color. <laughs> like i gotta funny. have but i gotta have the white bass for yeah. this song oh uh, this song is really boring yeah let's at least wait for the solo i kind of agree that this is fine but again not nearly as good as any of the ballads on more so yeah it just makes it hard to listen to but the solo i remember liking so let's at least yeah we can wait for it um yeah that is funny i guess they could tune them differently but i'm also not aware that that's i doubt they do a lot yeah yeah that's why so jody mitchell stopped touring because she had she played so many songs in different tunings and i think about that a lot where she could have just had two guitars and a guitar tech and had them tune one of them while she was playing the other one but she stopped touring for a long time because of that that's wild i always think about how was that that not really like a thing in the 70s or 80s you know maybe that's a newer thing that you would hire someone to do all that i don't know i feel like it'd be easy enough to get you would think This tone is very glam rock. This guitar tone. Yeah. It I like it too. Yeah. David Gilmore is so fucking good at the guitar, man. He really is. That's the most frustrating part about these early albums, is that he's so good, but it's not on great songs, you know? Yeah, like, this is a really fantastic solo, but do I really want to listen to Fat Old Son to get here? Not, no. Not that much. And yeah. that's kind of my thing with uh, Adam Hart. Funky Harper. Dung. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the last track, Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast. Apparently, Alan was one of their road managers who would always cook for them on tour. And Roger got this idea of doing a song based off like the rhythm of a tripping tap. And then it's one thing led to another. And all of a sudden they were making a full sound effects record. Yeah, that sounds right. Thank you. 
just so we don't have too much quiet space, I'll go ahead and uh, say that this song always makes me hungry, I have to say. Especially later on when they really start cooking up the bacon and stuff. They did, just like the Rolling Stone critic said, they really recorded everything perfectly to the point where it's almost annoying at how it sounds like someone's making you breakfast. So they apparently played this song live a few times. Oh, Jesus Christ. And in order to do it live, they had to have their roadies come and make breakfast on stage. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. They just wanted a little mid... Uh, mid-concert snack i kind of find it charming and funny it's it's a weird thing because like they are such like a self-serious group where i feel like if i was seeing them live i wouldn't know whether they thought it was ridiculous like whether they're doing the spinal tap thing where they're taking it so seriously or whether they realize it's ridiculous but they apparently do realize it's ridiculous but it still is like i mean oh okay it's fun it is fun but yeah i don't know yeah, I guess if they're in on it, then it's great. If they're, yeah. like, very seriously, like, jamming to these guys, like, fucking cooking right. up bacon, then that's ridiculous. Um, so I'm pretty sure, what what's our timestamp here on this song? Two minutes and 47 seconds. Oh, damn, okay. We're still in Rise and Shine. Uh, the other trivia I'll throw out here, this is all from the book, by the way, uh, is that the guy, Alan, the road manager or whatever, who this was based off of, they eventually... <laughs> Nick Mason said that he like was a real character and kind of like took over their road crew and like eventually became such a like personality basically that the band started like not asking him to do stuff or like ever help out and then they realized that it was like no one we can't force him to do any work he's just like this guy who's on tour with us now so they ended up firing him wow yeah damn dude ice cold So if we're not already there, we could get to 429 for the second section, sunny side up. I don't like this weird ASMR shit they're doing. (laughs) I mean, I kind of like it. It is, I will say, like, I agree with the Rolling Stone reviewer in that it's incredibly well recorded. Oh, which it's is, very well recorded. Which is kind of cool in a way. I get I get that, but it's also just like absolutely even if it's fun, which it is, musically there's not enough here for it to feel like anything other than kind of pointless. It's a good way <laughs> to Especially when they fir- put the whole when the whole first side is like this orchestral epic. Yeah. And then they still need like 13 minutes or whatever on the back half for this shit. No, guys, just write yeah. one more shortish, like regular song, yeah. and just and duck on out of here. That's it. You're done for the for the album. Don't make us sit through another long ass weird. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't need it bookended. Right. Just filler. <laughs> it's putting Peter to sleep. He's yawning. Man, almost. You're kind of not kidding. Although I'll wake my stomach will wake right up when he starts cooking. Hey now.
Yeah, it's just a lot of guitars doing stuff, which I know that they kind of make a return to, like, later in their career, but it's better than this. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, should we talk about our thoughts on Adam Hartmother? Or should we? Is there another? Yeah. No. Let's do it. So, Pete, what do you think of Adam Hartmother? Adam Hartmother, I want it to be better than it was because I think we talked about it last week. Uh, it's one of my favorite album covers of theirs. Um, it's a good I album really, cover. I really love the album cover, but kind of just like I'm a Gumma, I was left wanting when they gave me such an incredible album cover and then kind of held back on the music. I mean, the kind of annoying thing is because I feel like we're, what, we're like five, what did we say? I keep forgetting now, five albums in, and they just keep being good but not great. And so it's a it's hard to say, but it's like there's still just only flashes of really great music and almost yeah. no. This one's actually almost more disappointing than all the other ones because there's not even, except for... <laughs> Funky Dung, I don't, and the solo on Fat Old Son, I don't think they deliver on being great on this album. Like, I think everything's just good, whereas at least on, like, Saucer Full of Secrets and Umma there were at least, like, a couple of songs that were just straight up great. Like, Grantchester Meadows is incredible off Umma and then The Narrow Way, the David Gilmore one, is, like, just an incredible song, so... Yeah. yeah, metal's metal's disappointed. I could, I mean, I could see this being someone's favorite Pink Floyd album. Like, if you really love the brass production and stuff, and like, I I could see it being, yeah, being someone's favorite. But I think it's it's always gonna be, even if it's your favorite, you always have to be like, yeah, but objectively, it's not really that great. It just really hits for you for some reason. So right, yeah. It's, Which is, I feel it's like, disappointing. Probably my opinion on some Led Zeppelin albums. You know, yeah. like I don't. I think my favorite is most other people's not their favorite. Um, but I think you're. I think you hit on something there that there is not a great song on this. There is no. great playing on it. Like there are great solos. There's great bass lines. Like it's all, and it is the best produced they have been yet. I think. I might agree with that. I think Saucer Full of Secrets actually was pretty incredibly well produced. But I, well it's, recorded, it's up there. It's at least tied with that, I think. Yeah. I think Saucer Full sounds really incredible. But I agree that it's it's up there. Um, and so it is, it's absolutely frustrating that it's not better. Um, yeah. Because you, you see these visions of what they... And this has been Pink Floyd for me all the way through so far you, you get these glimpses these tiny glimpses of what is to come but it's not there and it's like yeah very frustrating that i think a lot of like talent is wasted on these songs that are not very good or you know not really songs kind of you know um yeah. it, it, it was yeah yeah for sure well what would you like to rate this is a hard Adam one for Hartmother. me, Pete, because I don't think I'm going to listen to any of these songs again, because <laughs> I'm not going to wade through 10 minutes of Adam Hartmother to get yeah. to like, you know, one good section of that song. And then the B-side 
was decent. I'm going to say it was decent. But not great. I agree. Probably like a three for me, man. Yeah. Three or four. I think three. Yeah. I, you know what, PJ? You're going to love this. I'm going four. Okay. I kind of agree with you. Like, it's just, there's, there are some really great moments, but yeah, it knocks it down a lot that it's like, I don't know, unless I really change my tune on Fat Old Sun or Summer 68 or something, then I don't think I am going to ever go back to to anything really on this album. It's like, there's not, there's side A, which it's like, okay, there's some good stuff on it, but you don't really want to wade through it. And then there's no point in flipping the record over, you know? Yeah. Like at that point. Yeah. It's a tough one. For sure. But I think that might be the closest we've ever, uh, we've done it on this show yet. Definitely the closest we've landed <laughs> on Pink Floyd, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that has been, what are we still listening to? Yeah, dude, right we now? still have a minute and 30 seconds left of this shit. <laughs> oh, no. We'll just sit in silence for another minute and 20 seconds. Okay, that sounds good. Or we could just fade out on it. Let's just fade out on it. We will, uh, PJ, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon, my friend. And I'll see you on the other side of that rainbow. A Beach Boys Boys production.